Amen. Well, you guys can be seated, and why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, We are in Exodus, and if uh, you don't have a Bible, you can just get uh, the attention of our ushers. They're coming around. They would love to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are going to be in finishing up Exodus chapters 12 and 13 today, and I just kind of recap where we've been. We have just gone through all the 10 plagues that God sent on the nation of Egypt, and the 10th plague was threatened. It is coming. God said he's going to kill the firstborn, but last week we saw that God had also then given his people a way to escape that judgment, that they could kill a Passover lamb, and that the blood of that lamb would be a substitute, so that when God comes down to judge, when he saw the blood that was painted on their doorway, He would literally pass over them and spare them from that judgment. Here we are at the end of chapter 12, and I'm telling you, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the exodus. It's finally here. God does it. He is going to lead them out. And and, uh, what we're going to see today, this is so important for their future, that Israel doesn't forget what God is doing right now. That he is, um, by his power, Uh, delivering them out of slavery. So important they don't forget. It kind of helps that we know uh, the rest of the story. We know how that goes. We know how badly Israel is going to mess this up and just uh, completely forget everything that God just did and that they can and really should trust him. And like, they're really going to botch this pretty badly. But you have to appreciate that their world is about to change. Everything about their world is about to change. And this really should have been a lesson. I thought about where we're at as a church, as, as most of you know, in, in just a few months. We're, we're, we're in a season of change right now. In, a, in September, we are going to officially become Fairfax Bible Church. And, and I just got to tell you, I know that's kind of different, but, but God is just giving me a renewed passion in my heart. I love being a part of this church, and I am so excited. Just keep going and, and, and pressing into this new season. And I, and I realize that it's a little bit different. Things are going to change, but, but I want to assure you, We're not changing direction. We're just kind of reiterating and recasting this vision around what we're already pursuing, that we want to be a worshiping and sending church for the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's what we're all about. And the reason that we can be excited about some of the change that's coming and not scared and not freaking out about it is because we know who the Lord is. And look at how he's already proven himself to be faithful. Look at, look at what he's already done. I told you the, the, the story of our church can't really be explained apart from the grace and uh, the power of God. Uh, there were days I've told you that uh, we weren't really sure if we'd be able to uh, pay our bills. Um, it's transient. I mean, we've, we've seen leaders come and go. People have moved on, and we've thought, and like, how in the world are we going to keep doing this, and what are we going to do without those people? And, 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 and we have gone through some incredible seasons of, of, of difficulty and, and challenging times, and, and, and by all human accounts, we shouldn't even be here. But look at what God's done. And I know, like, you look around, you realize, like, like we're, we haven't arrived yet. There's, like, so much more for us to do. And so, so we're, like, pressing into this. But, but there's kind of a hopefulness that just re-energizes us to get back after it because we believe that God is not done yet. And we know that he is faithful, and we know that we can trust him. That helps us through these 
seasons of change. So I know that that's happening for us as a church, but maybe it's for happening for you personally. Maybe you're uh, facing uh, kind of an unknown, uncertain future right now. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know how this is going what, what's this going to look like, and how am I going to uh, handle all of this? And I just want to ask you this: What is God teaching you about Himself today? That's going to help you remember tomorrow that you can really trust Him. I think that's the big idea as we. Uh, look at this incredible story of God's salvation and the exodus here. Here's, here's what we're going to learn. You're going to need today's victories to trust the Lord tomorrow. You're going to need today's victories to trust the Lord tomorrow. You, you, you need uh, today's miracles, today's answers of prayers, the, 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 the evidence of God's hand today proving to you that you can still trust him with your uh, tomorrow. So because we need that, uh, I actually want to give you uh, three questions today. Uh, I think these are the questions that we need to ask today so that we'll know that we really can trust him uh, tomorrow. Here's one. Note this. Um, this is the first question. We need to be asking ourselves this. Do we, do we get this? Will you trust that he is faithful? Will you trust? Just like resolve to get this down, that, that, that in, in, in my heart I, I just know and I trust that God is faithful and he always will be. It's always going to be faithful. Let me show that to you. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 29. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 29. Watch what happens. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, up, get out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds if you have said, be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders, and the people of Israel had already done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel sojourned from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, a mixed Multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt so that this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So, main point in all of this that I just want you to take away is God just did exactly what he said he was going to do. God just did what he said he was going to do. 
Verse 29, he said, look at this. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I want you to compare that. I've got this for you on the screen. Here's what we saw before in chapter 11. Here's what he said. Before all that happened, he said, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. God said he was going to do it. Even before that, back in chapter 4, I've got this one for you as well. Here's what God said to Pharaoh. He said, Israel is my firstborn son. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God said what he was going to do, and here he is doing it. But even before that, this is crazy, okay? This actually goes back hundreds of years before this happened. It's been a couple months since we looked at this. I want you to see this for uh, on the screen. This is Genesis chapter 15. God is now talking to a guy named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, hundreds of years before this happens. And, and, and God makes this promise. Uh, check this out. The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's just happened. But... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. You know what that means? That means that God called his shot hundreds of years before, and, and, and he called it in great detail beforehand, letting them know what was going to happen like he's in control or something. God does what he says he's going to do. Check this out. God brings judgment then uh, by, by striking all the firstborn sons. Think about that, what it meant. That, that, that was uh, this just, ironic uh, reversal of the evil that Pharaoh had inflicted by killing all the Hebrew baby boys. Remember that? Chapter 1? And God's kind of turning it back on them. Now, this would have been a massive blow to Egypt. I mean, this would have, this would have shook them in nationally and religiously. He struck down the firstborn, even of the son of Pharaoh. Okay, the son of Pharaoh is going to succeed him as king, and, and they would have seen him as divine. And so this is kind of a fatal shot to their trust in all the other false gods. And it would have been a massive blow exhaustively, too, because, look, it's, it's from the throne to the captive in the dungeon. There's no distinction of class, etc. It's nothing. It's like, it's everybody, even, even the livestock. And it's also a massive blow personally. I think about what that would have sounded like. Not a house where someone was not dead. Now, this cut and this cut deep. To the point where verse 30 tells us that there was a great cry in Egypt. Just as Israel had cried out in their suffering. Same word. And it cried out to the Lord for help in their oppression. God did exactly what he said he would do to Egypt. But he also did exactly what he said he was going to do for Israel. Last week we looked at what happened when they were eating the Passover lamb and the 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In fact, uh, check this out on the screen. I've got this for you. This was what we looked at last week back in chapter 12. Here, here's, here's what God said he was going to do, right? You're, you're, you're going to eat. I want you to eat the Passover lamb, but in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Don't put your comfy clothes on and kick back and relax for dinner. Like, like, like don't, don't bother putting yeast and, and, and letting the bread rise. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, put your shoes on and get ready to walk out the door. Eat fast. We're getting out of here. Eat in haste. Look, look what happens. Verse 33, here it is. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste to the point where they took the, their, their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls are bound up in their clothes. So like, just pack up the kitchen. Just wrap it up in a blanket. Take us with it. Like, we, we, we're getting out of here, man. We got, we, we, we got to go. And it happens so incredibly fast, just like God said it would. And here's another promise. Uh, let, me, let me put this back up here. Genesis 15, verse 14. This is Remember, this is 400 years. God is talking to Abraham now. And he's telling ahead of time what's going to happen. Uh, he said, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So do you think that they're going to leave Egypt empty-handed? No, why not? Because God said so. <laughs> Look what happens, verse 35, here it is. The people of Israel, they'd already done as Moses told them, and they asked the Egyptians for silver and for gold jewelry and for Clothing, like, like how awkward must that have been? Like, think about it. Like, can you imagine how that conversation would go with your neighbors? Like, as, like you see, you know, your, your neighbors coming out uh, in the morning and you're going to the cars. You're like, man, that's a really nice suit. I mean, like, you look like a boss, man. Can, can I have that? Is that okay? Like, you, you, don't, you don't need that diamond ring, right? Like, that, I mean, that is gorgeous. You, you, you don't need that. Or your car, man, that's, like, that's a sick car. Can, um, would you mind just giving that to me? I mean, I don't want to, like, uh, you know, just test drive it. I, I just want to have it, like, for forever. But here it is, verse, verse 36. The Lord had given the paper, people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. They just let them have whatever they asked for. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. That word plundered, that's what happens in wartime. When one nation conquers another, that's what you get to do. You get to take the, the stuff. You get all the spoils. So, so think about it. Humanly speaking, this is the, the most powerful nation on earth. It seems absolutely impossible. But God is giving the Israelites victory, and they didn't even do anything. They literally didn't even have to pick up a weapon, but they win. And the text says that they journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot. So, so let's put the map up here because I just wanted to be able to use my laser pointer again. It's been a while since I've done this. It just makes me feel really powerful. Uh, so, so here's what's going on. Uh, let's, let's just get kind of a, a, a little bit of a picture of, of where they're going from, okay? They're, they're, they're starting out here in the city of Ramesses, and they're going to come down here to Sukkot. Now, here's the deal. We don't know where all of these places are, but it is likely that they journeyed down and crossed the Red Sea here, all right? So God's gonna take them down along into the wilderness. He's taking them down to the Red Sea, but I want you to notice that as they're leading, leaving Egypt, they're not sneaking out the back door like escaping refugees. It's like they're kicking down the front door and walking right out like, it's like victorious warriors, 
who just happened to not have to do any of the fighting. And it says that there's about 600,000 men besides women and children. So, like, that's a lot of people is what he's trying to say. Like, it's, it, this is not just like a little family reunion heading out. This, this is now a nation, which is exactly what God had promised Abraham. Remember that? Genesis chapter 12. I've got this one for you on the screen too. I want you to be able to see these. Genesis chapter 12, here's what God had said to Abraham. He said, I will make of you a great nation. It's happening. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So so, so we're seeing this happening, but I want you to notice that, 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 that God's purpose was not just for Abraham's family. God's heart is for the nations that the nations would know him and that they would come to understand him too. So so look again, verse 38. We've seen this already, but man, this is so powerful. Verse 38. It tells us that that a mixed multitude also went up with them. That means people from the other nations. Now, now we don't know if these people, if this is like genuine faith, but apparently there were enough people that were not Israelites that are watching what God just did to Egypt, and they're like, well, we're going to go with this God. We're, we're, we're going to follow him. I'm just, I, I know we just like looked at a whole bunch of verses, but the whole point, what I'm trying to help you understand is God made all of these promises, and now they're all coming to fulfillment, just like he said. Because this was, verse 42, a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. God is watching. That word in the Hebrew means a vigil. Like, like a purposeful surveillance, like a guard who's been set in a place. you got one job, just keep an eye on these people. Like watch over these people. And we, we, we've learned earlier that when, when Israel was, was crying out and, and, and maybe when they were like wrestling with this, it was a long time they were waiting. It might have felt like God just wasn't listening, like he didn't care, like he didn't know what was going on. But, but we learned that God heard and he saw everything. And he has been watching over them the entire time. What else does God have to do to prove to you that he is faithful? So on Wednesday night, we actually uh, celebrated a Passover Seder. And hopefully those of you who were able to make that, that, like that just, it just gives you a little taste of that. You were able to experience a little bit of the, uh, the culture and the way that they, they even celebrate that today. But one of the things that happens in the Passover Seder is that they recount and tell the story in detail of what God did to bring them out and how he struck them, uh, struck Egypt with the plagues and he led them out of slavery. And after every step along the way, they use this word, uh, In Hebrew, it says dayenu, which means that would have been enough. If God had just struck the Egyptians with the plagues, dayenu, that that would have been enough. But then God went and he made a distinction between Egypt and Israel, and that would have been enough. And then he struck the firstborn, and that would have been enough. But he also gave us the Passover lamb, and that would have been enough. And he led us out into drive. That would have been enough. And like God just, it just kept going. And, and, and for that, we should have been grateful. When's the last time you just stopped and, and took time to consider all the things that God has done for you? 
I'm talking victories over sin. I'm talking uh, you know, victories over temptation that he's, uh, he's brought you through. Uh, I'm talking answered prayers, ways that God has, has provided for you. Times where he has met you in those moments of need and confusion. The times where the Lord has just been present. You've felt him in that. Let those stories strengthen your faith in his faithfulness. In fact, Brian Billman and I were talking because we, we, like, here we are in Go Beyond. And there's been a lot of stories. I can't wait to tell you some of the stories of what God has been doing even then. And, and ways that he's been providing financially. And, and kind of like at the last minute, like the perfect timing. And like, like we're, we're asking for some of these things. And then all of a sudden, God just does it. And then, you know, like a, a, a Fairfax City councilman randomly, randomly overhearing a conversation about Go Beyond in a diner. And getting excited about what, what our church has been able to do in our our. Our community, I'm mean, like stories like that. It's just it, those are the things that just make you cause a step back and just like what that does for your faith. You're like, God, you are so good. And, and Carissa and I have so many of those stories. And we are able to look back and, and look at times that God has just provided for us miraculously. I mean, absurdly generous. And times where He's answered prayers and 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 showed us just how powerful He is. And, and that his timing is not ours, like we knew that, but uh, then we realized that his timing is actually better. And in times that he's actually just been really kind and, and met us in, in those moments of uncertainty. And see, it's like we, those, those monumental moments, big and small, they teach us to trust him. Because the days are coming where we're going to be in that position again, where I feel... Like, can we really do this? And I'm not so sure about this. And, and it's in those moments we're able to just look back and say, look what God's already done. Look at what he's proven to us already. See, you're going to need today's victories to trust him tomorrow. So don't miss the opportunities to, to really praise and to take some time and just celebrate what God is doing right now. Listen, I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what's, what, what you're going through. Uh, but I do know what God's doing. And so do you. And we've been through this. Romans 8, you know this. That for those who love God, God is working all things together for your good. But your good, verse 29, is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. So God has a good purpose. He is doing something good in you right now. He's working for your good. Not, not, not just for your uh, comfort and, and, and your convenience. Not just to take away anything unpleasant in your life and make everything easy and grant all your wishes. He, is, he has a good purpose. He is making you more like Jesus right now. So, so whether he gives you that uh, promotion or not, whether he leads you to the one that you're going to marry this week or not, or whether he clarifies that decision uh, that, that, that you're facing, or he fixes your impossible schedule, or he potty trains your kid for you, or he uh, just gives you exactly what you need to pay the bills and to stay out of debt, or whether he heals that cancer or not, whatever it is, in the midst of that, he is transforming your character into the person, the image of Christ that you're going to look more like Jesus, and that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as he is working in you, you're going to start to see the evidence of that. You're going to see love and joy and peace and patience, and it's not dictated, it doesn't fluctuate with your circumstances. You're going to be more like Christ in the midst of it. And God says he's doing that. 
In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Paul says this, I love it. He says, sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God has started a work in you, he says he's going to finish it. And what we've just seen is that God does exactly what he says he's going to do. So will you trust him? Will you trust him that he is faithful to keep his promises? So what God's just proven to them is so important. He doesn't want to forget. And so uh, that leads us to our second question we need to ask today to make sure that we help, uh, we, we, we can trust him tomorrow. Note this. Will you remember that you belong to him? Will you remember that? God already told them that they were to, uh, to keep the Passover and that they were to keep this, this feast of unleavened bread every single year. But here at the end of chapter 12, he's, he's going into a little bit more, giving them some more details of the expectations and his instructions. And so this section, end of chapter 12, all the way into chapter 13, really, it's obviously just looking forward to the future. Like, like, like what they're supposed to do about next year's Passover and the year after that. And the point of this that they're supposed to be celebrating is every year it's going to give them a chance to look back so they don't forget what he just did for them. But the emphasis here at the end of chapter 12 is on who gets to eat the Passover. Who, who gets to be a part of this? And I'm not going to read all of this, but I just want, we've seen some of this, but the instructions that God has given, he's let them know, the people that get to eat the Passover, this is not for foreigners. This is only for his people. He said, well, wait, didn't we just see, like, there's a mixed multitude going with us? Like, do they just have to sit on the sidelines and they're not allowed to partake of this? And, like, they just got to watch? Well, he actually makes a provision for them. Look at verse 48. Chapter 12, verse 48, he says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and wants to keep the Passover, let all his males be circumcised. So what that means is the circumcision. You've got to remember, that was the sign of God's special covenant relationship with his people. And so he was allowing a people could choose by faith to be identified as belonging to the Lord. And as they did, then they would get to uh, partake of the Passover and remember how God had saved them by a substitute, by the sacrificial lamb. God had saved them by that. And recognize and remember his grace. There's something interesting about the sacrificial lamb in here that God, this is kind of an interesting detail, verse 46 He says, when you take that uh, sacrificial lamb, you shall not break any of its bones. When you slaughter it, spill its blood, but don't break its bones. And that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. See, the Gospel of John uh, specifically tells us that when the soldiers that were crucified next to Jesus on the cross, the soldiers came by and they broke their legs, but when they finally came to Jesus, they realized that he had already died, and so they did not break his legs. It's a direct fulfillment of Exodus 12, 46. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and what that means is that when you put your faith and trust in him, you belong to him. And God wanted his people to understand that. He he wanted them to remember that they're his, so he said, chapter 13, verse 2, Verse 2, he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. 
Whatever is first to open the womb, both of man and of beast, is mine. God is claiming all the firstborns in Israel, and so they were supposed to dedicate them to the Lord. So if it was an animal, if it was a lamb, if the first one out, you got to kill it. But then later in verse 13, it kind of helps us out a little bit because, like, like what, what if I have a, a baby? Like, no, no, he says if, if it's a donkey or if it's a human, boy, don't kill it. Okay, we're not killing the baby boys. We're not doing that. But they belong to me. And so what you got to do, he says, is you need to redeem them with a lamb. So you would kill a lamb in its place. And the firstborn, obviously the firstborn had special privileges and, and it was a really important uh, thing in their culture. But you got to remember that the firstborn also was kind of representative of the whole family. So if, you, if this was us and if we were under this, then that would mean that, that, that Carissa and I, we would have had to redeem our son Judah, but not our son Javen. Judah is the firstborn. Okay, like there is some privileges of him being the firstborn son. We would redeem him, but that doesn't mean that Javan doesn't belong to God. See, that we would redeem Judah is just this symbolic uh, reminder that we all belong to him. Everything belongs to the Lord. And it would have been a reminder when they would do this that God struck the firstborn in Egypt and he would have struck Israel too if it had not been for the blood of the lamb in their place. And so they're supposed to be redeeming this and then also keeping this feast of the unleavened bread, just this reminder how God had led them out of slavery and into a relationship with himself. They belong to him. Here's the problem. They didn't do so hot at keeping this every year. Like they, did, they did okay on the first anniversary while they're out in the wilderness, but, but we know that they were out in the wilderness for like 40 years, and so it looks like the, the next like 39 years, they didn't celebrate it again until Joshua led them across the Jordan River in, into the Promised Land. That's the next time that we hear them actually celebrating the Passover. A lot of time in between. And uh, we know that, that, that Israel just went years without keeping it under the kings and their leadership in the Old Testament. So they stopped celebrating what should have been an annual reminder for them. What do you think is going to happen? That's the story of the Old Testament. That they just drift further and further away and, and slipped into forgetting about the Lord and that they belong to Him. How important is it for you to remember that you belong to the Lord, that you're his. And let me clarify here. You're not Israel, okay? The, the, the reason that you are his is not because you're a part of Israel or that you have the sign of the old covenant or that you keep the Passover. The, the reason that you belong to him is that you have been adopted by God into his family because he has redeemed you by the blood of Jesus on the cross, which means you are his no matter what. That you can't earn it, and you don't have to. And you can't lose it, and you never will. That you belong to him. And, and, and let me just tell you, there's, there's some real dangers if you forget that. The dangers of forgetting that is that you might um, slip into performance mode. 
or you feel like you got to like outwork or, or make up for any mistakes that I make or this guilt that I feel or, 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 or that I somehow got to be, I, I need to make myself worthy by what I do. That's just not how we have a relationship with the Lord. Or you fall headlong into idolatry. Where instead of making Jesus the the center of your life, you forget that you belong to him and you start prioritizing and chasing after other things. Listen, what the scripture is trying to remind you is that God is looking out for your best interest. He wants what's best for you. And he knows that ultimately you are going to be miserable until you find your joy and satisfaction in Christ. So he is fighting for your joy your security, so that you'd remember that you belong to him. Are you going to remember that? Like if you're thinking, like, I hope so, <laughs> like, I want to. Well, what can you do today? What can you be doing today to make sure that tomorrow you won't forget what he's done and who you belong to? You just see how important then it is to, to be involved in a, in a Bible-preaching, gospel-believing, Christ-exalting church where, where you are weekly gathering just to adore Jesus. You see how vital that is for you? And, and where you are regular, regularly taking communion together. That's the Lord's Supper that, that Jesus instituted at Passover. He said, do you see it? Do you see it's me? And I want you to do this in remembrance of me, that that we take that together to remember God's grace to us in sending Jesus to die for us in our place so that we could be saved. And it's so important that we have this. Can I just tell you, I I love you for this, and and, and I'm so thankful it already is. If it's not, can I just tell you, put Sunday morning worship at the top of your priorities. Just to make sure that that, that you're, you're being reminded again and again of who you are. Because of what he's done. You belong to him. Here's the third question we need to ask. And I want to do this quickly. Will you follow where he leads? Will you follow where he leads? Let's let's finish this out. We're going to read uh, the end of chapter 13. Starting verse 17. Starting in verse 17. let's, Let's just finish this out. He says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. All right, watch this. This is cool. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. That seems kind of random. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. I mean, you, that, you want to talk about somebody that, that trusted in the promises of God. Joseph was so confident that God does what he says he's going to do. He says, listen, listen, don't bury me here. Like, I know what God said. God's going to take us back to the promised land. And so when he does what he says he's going to do, you just take my bones with you. I love that. Verse 20. And they moved on from Sukkot and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So, 
As they're coming to this, let's, let's get our map up here again, because I just want to show you where they're going. It would have been so much easier, and some of them have got to be thinking as they're going, like, why are we going this way? Like, I've seen the map, and like, there, there's a shortcut. Like, we could just go right up here. There's the promised land. That's where we need to, why are we going this direction? It seems like we're kind of going the wrong way. Well, you're just going to have to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. That God is actually, he is leading them away from a battlefield that they can't see. They don't know it's there. Because God knows he doesn't want them to start thinking that going back to slavery in Egypt is a better idea. And if they went that way, then they'd miss out on the opportunity to see a road literally made right through the Red Sea. That's pretty cool. Don't want to miss that. So God actually knows what he's doing. Can we just be honest? Like, this is, like, so hard for those of us who already have a plan for our life. Like, God, you know, I've actually um, put a lot of thought into this already, and, and um, you know, I can save you the time. I've got a plan all laid out. You just listen to me. I'll, I'll you know, I'll pray it, and, and you just do it for, like. Now, will you trust that he knows best and follow where he leads? I know you're thinking like, well, it'd be so much easier to follow God if he led me around by a literal cloud. That would be sweet. I mean, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Can you just picture you like driving down 66 and all of a sudden you see this pillar of cloud that rests over the office building of your next job and where you're supposed to go. That would be awesome. It would save a lot of stress in dating if a pillar of fire would just show up over the person you're supposed to marry. I mean, God, could, like you could just do that. That'd be great. It'd be a lot easier to follow you that way. But can I tell you this? We have something better. We have something better. Jesus tells us that as we're going out to carry out the Great Commission, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he sent us his Holy Spirit to live in us. He is living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate and help us understand God's word so that we know how he wants us to live. Because he wants us to be more like Jesus. That's what he's doing. And so in one sense, like he cares about what job you're going to be at, but it is way more important that you are becoming more like Christ than that you're going to work in this office versus this office. He's going to lead us in this. And so we have opportunity to just settle this today. That, that, that we are going to trust him, and, and, and I'm just going to dive into my Bible with just a passion to follow him. You, you just got to know that this, this book is better than your podcast, it's better than blogs, it's better than your self-help books, your leadership books, your seminars, all of This is the truth, and the Spirit of God is going to lead you to be more like Jesus. And if we get this today, it's going to give us great hope for tomorrow. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. I thank you uh, that you have, you have led us. And, and we look back on some incredible days. We look back on some difficult days. We look back on seasons where we didn't understand, how, how's this going to happen? God, what are you going to do? Like, what, what, what are we, how are we going to handle this? And yet, look what you did. And, and it's those monumental moments, and some of them are so big we just can't help tell the story. Some of them are little. And, and so, to be honest, Lord, sometimes we forget. And sometimes we don't appreciate Sometimes we find ourselves praying for things and then we, you answer and we just forget to even say thank you. And so I ask that even today you would help us to stop and take time to celebrate and just be reminded of the ways that you have proven yourself, that you are faithful. 
and that we can trust you. And we want to lift high the name of Jesus because it's what you've done for us that that we belong to you. And it's not dependent on our performance. That again, we can come running, busting into the throne room and interrupt the King of Kings anytime because you're our Father now. And Lord, we're going to trust you that you're going to lead us and continue to use your church for your name, for your glory. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name.